Poppin' the Christian Bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by, well, no one, because we're still small. But someday, hopefully, by companies like Apple and Amazon. Tiger King, Ozark Season 3, a new app called Quibi, Apple delaying phones, House Party hits its stride, and a Time Magazine article that says Christianity offers no answers with coronavirus? All this and more coming up on today's episode. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's episode six of the Cultured Christian Podcast. I'm so happy, as always, to be spending this time with you. I hope you have a good beverage or cigar. I don't know, maybe you're driving, so neither of those are good when you're driving. But hey, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, whomever you're with, I'm excited that you're here for today's episode. And I want to start things off with culture looking at some of these TV shows, or better said, Netflix shows, that everybody seems to be watching because, well, we have nothing else to do. We're sitting around in our houses, overloading the internet, streaming everything known to man. And I had the um, (laughs) unfortunate, fortunate, however you say it, um, time on my hands to stream both Ozark Season 3 and Tiger King. Now, if you haven't heard of Tiger King, you, again, are probably not uh, the audience that this podcast is designed for because, man, whenever you log into Netflix or turn on any radio show today, everybody seems to be talking about this show called Tiger King. And I'm going to try not to give too many spoilers, but I think those of you who haven't seen it really doesn't matter if I spoil it because you're either not going to watch it or you're going to watch it and think it's, well, crap, which you wouldn't be too far from the truth. It's a pretty crazy, uh, crazy show. But I think um, the most interesting thing that comes out of Tiger King is near the end of it, the final episode where it talks about Or actually, no, I think it was actually on the Facebook page of this big cat rescue, you know, Carol Baskins. Um, She and her husband posted some anti-Netflix videos. You got to check that out on their Facebook page. I think it's also on YouTube. But basically, they give kind of this backstory to how they were approached by the people who made the series Blackfish, I think, years ago. The producers of that, the writers of that. And they basically came to Netflix and said, hey, we want to create a show about big cats and like tigers and lions in captivity and basically reveal, uh, do a documentary series to free these animals from captivity and from these petting zoos and this sort of stuff. And so they actually came to Carol and this uh, the Tiger King um, exotic Joe and basically to create this Netflix series and try to reveal that. But what ended up happening was a little bit different. It was more focused on the craziness of these people. And I got to say, much like a friend of mine said, I had no idea. Okay. I came into this thing somewhat reluctantly. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy who has to watch whatever everybody's watching and whatever Netflix puts in front of your face every time you log in. 
But I started seeing the memes. I started hearing from friends. Okay, I'm in. I've got to watch this thing. And it was terrible, awesome, crazy, weird, gross. Um, Those are the words that come to mind. There's just so much going on. It's kind of like another friend said. It's like... Basically, you see an episode and you're like, that's the craziest it will be. And it's like, no, we're going to we're going to go a little bit further. The next episode's even more crazy. These people are doing more insane things. Um, I, it's just it's just weird. You know, it's one of those weird television sort of things. I come at it again. I didn't realize that this was a thing. Obviously, I know zoos exist. I know SeaWorld exists, all these sort of things. But I really was kind of in the dark that you could own 120-something lions, I think this guy Joe had in uh, Oklahoma. Like, you can own full-grown lions and tigers. Like, that's okay. That's insane to me. I just would have thought that would have been illegal, and yet it isn't. People can own those kind of exotic animals. But the real question you're asking at the end of the episode, well, really, there's two questions. The first question is, did Carol kill her husband? And I want to hear from you guys in the comments. Do you think she really killed her husband? Uh, That's, again, sorry for the spoiler, but there is a little bit of a discussion about her murdering her husband. Her husband definitely disappeared, her ex-husband, years ago. And then there's a plot to kill her. And it's like there's, you know, definitely going on. And so the other question you're asking besides did Carol kill her husband is why did I enjoy this show? Like why why did I just give what was it, seven hours, however many episodes? Like I watched all this stuff and it's like Jerry Springer. Okay. Like is there ever any value to that? And I got to thinking I'm going to answer that question in a moment, but where I'm going to go with it, I have to bring in Ozark, okay? If you've not seen Ozark, I'm not going to recommend it, okay? I've said that this show, this podcast is PG-13, so if you're 13 and under listening to this, you shouldn't be, number one. Um, But Ozark, I have to confess, is one of the darkest shows that I watch. I've watched, I think, House of Cards and... Ozark take the cake for me as just the most evil. uh, I feel bad after watching some of the episodes. And for me, that takes, you know, my threshold is pretty, pretty high for most people. Um, But it's just one of those, you know, the term guilty pleasure comes to mind. Some people say it's a guilty pleasure to watch a certain show or to do a certain thing. Um, But Ozark for me is one of that, uh, one of those. And Season three just dropped, and I had also binge-watched that over the last week or so. And as usual, amazing acting. Jason Bateman is incredible. The woman who I'm forgetting her name does well. The kids. And it's like what's so great about it is that it's great writing, as I've already mentioned. But they have just enough of the last season and just enough new stuff that makes it like it's Ozark. Like it's, it's awesome. If you liked one and two, you're going to love three because it's just enough of the same stuff, but it's also got a lot of new characters and new storylines and new things going on. And again, I won't spoil it for those who are interested to watch it, but here's where I'm making the connection. Why do people watch shows like Tiger King 
and Ozark. I have a friend who I shared, you know, hey, have you seen Tiger King? Because I kind of drank the Kool-Aid. So, of course, I'm asking everybody, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And he pushed back and he was like, no, I'm not into that crap. You know, he's kind of hoity-toity about it. Like, I'm not going to watch that stuff. That's terrible. And, and he was just like, why would I watch a show that, like, amplifies or glorifies people like this? I mean, these are, like, terrible people. So why would I watch a show that glorifies terrible people and it's a fair question and some of you might be in that same space of like kurt you should not be talking about these two shows but here's where i landed and here's why i think they're successful why i think it's the number one show right now on netflix i mean easily ozark 3 season 3 and tiger king are top of the list if you look at the list of on netflix everybody's watching these shows and to me the answer is incredibly simple and I wonder if you see this, and maybe I'm off here, but the reason why we like shows like this is the same reason why Jerry Springer was so popular back in the day, right? It's because no matter who you are, no matter what family you come from, no matter what job you have or no job, no job right now, watching shows about terrible people where none of the characters, literally none of them are redeemable, none of them are like a hero, none of them are like someone we're striving to be like, they really all turn out to be dirt balls. And that's the nice word I could use here on this PG-13. Like they're just all terrible people. The reason why we like these shows is because on some core, I would say unconscious level, it makes us feel better about who we are. Because when you put out the measuring stick, you seem better than Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins, right? Like when you compare yourself to the people on uh, Ozark and you think of that family, I'm forgetting the family name. I should have done the research. Oh, well. Uh, but when you compare yourself to that family, that's like this criminal family where they're all lying and cheating and killing and just doing all these terrible things it's then easier to look yourself in the mirror and say, well, I'm not as messed up as those guys are. And I think sometimes that's the function of entertainment, right? Entertainment is either an escape, we're escaping the reality of our lives, or it's, again, finding people we want to look up to, we want to strive to be like. But I feel like the current season we're in, we're in this kind of, and there's got to be a phrase for it, where we are drawn to characters that are terrible, that are dark, that are evil, that are just plain terrible people. Why? Because I think then we walk away feeling better, better than maybe we felt when we weren't watching the show. So interesting take there. I wonder what your thoughts are, but I, again, watched Tiger King, watched Ozark 3. I'd love your thoughts for those of you who have seen those uh, two shows. The other news in culture this week is, again, kind of the season we're in is the cancel culture. Everything is being canceled. And the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, at first I heard, was completely canceled. And I was super bummed. I'm honestly, again, because I'm not a sports guy, I'm not much of an Olympics guy, but my interest in Japan and it happening in Tokyo was super into that, super excited about what that was going to be like and the attention and the economic gains that uh, Japan was going to see as a result of that. 
But now they're saying it is not canceled, but it is delayed to 2021. So next year. And there sounds like there's some discussion as to whether or not it's going to be held in the spring or in the summer of 2021. So it's going to be one of those really unique years. Definitely an answer to a lot of trivia questions in the future. Um, because it's one of the few times in human history that the Olympics has been postponed. And not held on the every four year kind of um, distribution, if you will, of the Olympics. And so that's very interesting. I also heard, which I don't know if this is going to change, but I also heard that the marketing, because they put so much money and so much emphasis on the 2020 thing, because that's a banner year, man, 2020, uh, they're going to still call it the 2020 Olympics. They're still going to have the t-shirts and all of the Olympic marketing is going to be 2020. Now, I think that's a little weird to hold it in 2021, but maybe given the circumstances, most people won't really care and just see it as kind of an extension of 2020 kind of getting pulled into uh, the year 2021. And again, not being a sports guy, live entertainment, all these different things that have been canceled, whether it's Wimbledon or the NBA, NCAA, like you name it, it's all canceled. Like, I just wonder... What are they going to do with all the stats? What are they going to do with all of these uh, things that didn't happen in 2020? Like, is it just going to be this blank page in sports history? Or is these things going to happen next year? I don't know. It's just kind of, I think, an interesting discussion in our culture right now as to what's going to happen and what does the future look like for all of these events and are some of them going to resume like the Olympics in different times of the year? Are we going to have some discussion once this is over, hopefully in a few months, for these things to happen in summer? I know a lot of people who would love to see some of these events uh, happen still. So we'll see. I guess like a lot of things today, it's stay tuned. It may happen and it may not. All right, now turning to technology. Have you guys heard of the new app called Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I? This thing is coming out April 6th, so it is hot off the press. You've probably seen the commercials on TV. I know I have. But this is a brand new video streaming entertainment app that's literally going to have content, just again like Netflix and different video streaming services. But what's unique about it is the programming that's going to be on this app is designed for a television uh, I'm sorry a mobile phone size screen so not a television size screen or a big movie screen but it's literally content created just for the phone so it's going to be movies and TV shows and series uh, stuff that you could binge watch and a lot of it, from what I've read, is going to be like much smaller, so 10 to 20 to 30-minute episodes. And what's unique about it, and there's already a lawsuit, apparently someone is uh, challenging the technology behind the app. I'll share the article uh, in the link. But there's going to be some uh, episodes or some uh, content that you'll be able to move your phone around uh, vertically and horizontally to see different things. So it's going to be a little bit on the interactive side as to how you move and motion your phone uh, to see the content. 
I think that's interesting. Um, I wonder what you guys think, because I think this is one of those what I would call risky things in technology. There's a part of me that kind of feels like this is DOA, you know, dead on arrival. I can't imagine holding my cell phone or even putting it on a, um, you know, platform or something to hold my phone and sit and watch whatever amount of content. I just, I enjoy YouTube videos and such, but when I'm at home, primarily when I'm doing media consumption, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm sitting in front of a 55 inch TV. So I want it to be 4k. I want it to be up there. Uh, I just, I don't know. Is there a space? Is there a lane for, I guess, people commuting on a train or sitting in your car or sitting in your class? If you're a student and watching 10 to 15 to 20 minute episodes of a show on your phone, it's again, I think a little risky. I like that they're trying it. It'll be interesting to see if people, uh, get into Quibi. I don't know. I think time will, time will definitely tell. Now, turning to another story that's kind of related to the coronavirus, are you guys aware that YouTube has begun reducing its default video quality to standard definition? I understand in Europe and other parts of the world, it is automatically like you can't get high definition. You can't see a better quality video. Here in the States, as of right now, in the middle of April, you will notice in your apps, even on your television set or on your phone, if you haven't noticed already, it's now setting itself to like 480p. So you may notice some videos are streaming and it's got really subpar quality. As of right now, again, at the time of this taping, you can go in there and still switch it back to 720p or 1080p. You can still make it HD. But to reduce the the load on the system, because everybody's at home, everybody's streaming through YouTube, uh, they're defaulting to standard quality. So this is kind of like a little PSA if you haven't heard yet. Uh, maybe you're seeing that kind of low quality. You can change it back. As of right now, you can move it back to an HD setting. I don't know. I thought that was really helpful because if you're like me, I don't like watching things in standard definition anymore. I don't like seeing pixelated stuff, and hopefully that will help some of you out. All right, continuing here with our tech stories, and kind of this section is related to coronavirus stuff. There's a report out from the wonderful website Mac Rumors that Apple is considering delaying iPhone 12 launch by months. Now, if you're like me, you're a big Apple fan, you have the latest and greatest Apple phones. Each September, October, they launch their new phone. Their new flagship main device comes out every fall. And to hear this is very interesting to me for a number of reasons. Number one, it's March uh, is when this article was written. You're listening to this in April. We're a good deal away from the fall launch. But here's the deal. There are suppliers, there are manufacturing, these phones are made months in advance, right? Like they're, they need to be there ready to go in September. So all these things are delaying, everything's starting to have a domino effect. And they're saying that this could be delayed uh, by months. So if it's normally September, October, that would mean like 
November, December. I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to have the phone available for holidays. Um, the holiday season is a big, obviously, season where people shop and they buy each other gifts and stuff for themselves, too. Um, so I don't know what you think about that. But again, for me, I'm on the Apple upgrade plan. Again, side note here, and I am not a sponsor. They're not a sponsor. I'm not a paid promoter. Uh, but I'm on the Apple upgrade plan. If you guys haven't looked into that yet, I would highly recommend that. Basically, you leave uh, your phone purchase is separate from your cellular service. So I use Verizon as my service and my phone is through Apple. Like Apple is who I pay for my phone because a lot of you get your phones through AT&T, through T-Mobile, Sprint, or Verizon. And the Apple upgrade plan, what's great about it is every year I take my phone in as long as it's not broken or scratched or, you know, the screen's destroyed, you trade it in and they hand you the new phone. So this October, hopefully I'm going to walk in and get the latest iPhone 12 and I hand them my old phone. It's amazing. It's great. And you just pay Apple the monthly fee. And it's great. It includes Apple Care. So Apple Care again is like an insurance program. It's built into the cost. There's no interest. There is no like added cost. You're literally just paying what you would pay for uh, an Apple device with monthly payments. Anyways, I won't go on and on there. This isn't again an ad, but check out the Apple upgrade plan and hopefully we will have our phones in the fall of this year, 2020 not uh, moving into 2021. That would be tragic, sad. Have you guys heard of an app called House Party? If you haven't, I encourage you to check it out. It's kind of getting in its stride as an app. Even though it came out in 2016, it's primarily been a little bit of a sleeper hit. Most it, Mostly it was used by teens as it got started. It's again this video streaming app where you could do kind of a video chat with your friends and you could have more than one friend in there. But now as we're all quarantined, uh, second, I think only to Zoom, House Party is kind of the app of choice. And I downloaded it this week for the first time. And what's great about it, if you're not aware, no one's told you, is you can play games on the app with your friends in real time who you're chatting with. And the interface is really well done, no glitches, super easy to use. You can click on the menu and do various forms of trivia. There's a drawing game. There's a few other games that I haven't even tried yet. Um, but House Party, man, check it out. I got my dad to download it. I think it's a great way just to have a different kind of connection, you know, versus always just chatting and complaining. I think that's where we're all at. We're all complaining and complaining or trying to keep each other positive. And I just think it's fun every once in a while to, you know, hang out on the couch, pop open house party and play a game with your friend. Just laugh a little bit and get a little competition going, a little, uh, you know, trivia back and forth and see which one of your friends is uh, maybe the smartest. Now, besides video streaming apps, I wondered what are some apps or tech that you have found helpful during this time of quarantined or self-isolation? I'd love for you again to share that on our Reddit or in the comments, wherever you're uh, listening to this. But what are some apps that you're discovering? Maybe something that I haven't heard of that's just helping you out in this season of uh, quarantine. 
Well, for this week's faith section, we are doing something brand new on the podcast. I recently read a great article that someone shared with me on Facebook. It's a Time Magazine article, and it was focusing on Christianity's answer or lack of answer to coronavirus. And I thought about something. I thought, you know, instead of me discussing it and talking about it, why not ask the guy who shared the article, you know, some questions about why he wanted to share it, why it resonated with him. And so I asked Eric, my friend and mentor from Portland, Oregon, and he graciously agreed to come on. And so here's our discussion. All right, guys, I am here with Eric Messelt, as I mentioned, my mentor and friend, and he is the guy who shared this article. But before we get to the article, hey, Eric, how is it going? It's going good, Kurt. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, really a privilege for me. So thanks. It's so fun. And so Eric is a guy that I met through Western Seminary. We both graduated with honors and we were head of our class. I don't know, whatever we can make up here, but <laughs> we, were, we were incredible students at the Western Seminary. And funny story, fun fact, it's in Portland, Oregon is obviously, or maybe you don't know where Western Seminary is, but we met back here in Michigan. I moved back to Michigan. And why were you in Michigan, Eric, and not Portland, Oregon? All right. Well, so I uh, had received a call to full-time ministry kind of in midlife. And uh, God had been directing and working uh, weirdly and powerfully and uh, many times uncomfortably. Uh, and eventually uh, I came to a place where suddenly the opportunity to go to seminary and to respond to this kind of full-time call, which had been developing over the, about five years of time, uh, could be realized. And so um, I did that, uh, went through their two-year program, and then um, responded to a call for a church in Southeast Michigan. Like which East was, Side for my Michigan fans, like <laughs> Rochester, yeah, was it, right? No, no, actually Sterling Heights. Sterling Heights, that's right. Sterling Heights, yeah. Close and enough. So, so uh, in, in a tradition that I, I wasn't familiar with, um, and I ministered there uh, for better or for worse, about eight and a half years. And then uh, during that time, um, I was contacted by the uh, seminary to say, hey, there's this youth pastor dude who's in the area and he needs to um, have a kind of an official mentor. Would you be willing to do that kind of remotely? And so that's when um, I said, sure, uh, let me, you know, let me first, I think I first said, um yeah let me check it out see if we can you know if we get along <laughs> yeah yeah did a little probationary but then once <laughs> you met me it it fell uh how do you say it it came off really easily we started yes. meeting in royal oak and then we ended up going to waterford to kennedy's irish pub we yes. were uh yeah some we never drank but we definitely had a good a good time there. But the point is, is that you now are back in Washington. So what was it a year ago, this guy left Michigan to go back to the Northwest, leaving yeah. me stranded here in Michigan. Yeah. I can't imagine why you'd want to leave this great mitten state. What, you know, what and took you I, away? there was a lot of, there were a lot of great things that I enjoyed about Michigan. Um, and I know that you have abandonment issues, but you know, there's <laughs> therapy for that, bro. Yes. So and yeah, I'm getting but it yeah, it was sure. about uh, it was about August of uh, 2018 that I uh, came back and uh, 
came back into the Portland metro area, uh, was here for a little over a year, and then finally came up here to Washington where um, uh, family is. So, yeah. Yep. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad that you're back out there. And I hope to, I don't want to like put you on the line here, but I hope to have Eric back for an entire interview episode. This is kind of just like uh, a portion of today's episode, but we hope to have Eric back for more of a longer discussion in the future and you'll get to know him a little better there. But the, the point of today's episode kind of, uh, or this, this part of today's episode is an article that you shared on Facebook. It's a Time Magazine article and I wanna read the title because I think it really gets to the, um, the point of this discussion. In the title of the article, it posted online, unless you guys are still getting the print version, I don't even know if Time's printing a version, but the March 29th uh, edition of uh, Time Magazine, the title is Christianity Offers No Answers About the Coronavirus, period. It's not supposed to. And the article is written by a guy named N.T. Wright, who a lot of us uh, Christian leaders, uh, pastors, and seminarians, we all know that guy, but I'm sure a lot of the readers of Time Magazine have no idea who this guy is. But I thought, as I mentioned there in the intro, instead of me talking about it, why not go to this guy and whoever shared it on Facebook, just get to the heart of, I mean, ultimately, Eric, why, why did this article resonate with you? Why, why would you want to share it on your Facebook page? Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, first of all, let's, let's put some background about the article. Um, the article appears in Facebook and it says, Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. Stop right? And so it doesn't have that second part. It's not supposed yeah. to. Click, clickbaity, I guess. Very, right? very clickbaity. And I was like, and a lot, of, a lot of my friends were kind of like really annoyed by that. Uh, that's why I, I said, you know, uh, and I went into it because I saw who wrote it. I said, that's interesting. I wonder what this guy has to say. And so I went into it and saw that there was something really worthwhile there. Now, N.T. Wright, who is known amongst theologians and theological wannabes, um, as a guy who's really taken the uh, new perspective on Paul movement and taken it into certain areas, I don't share all of that perspective. Uh, he's a very, very bright guy. Um, I remember coming into seminary and one of my, my you know, egghead friends said, look, if, you, if you're going to do any sort of New Testament work, you've got to engage with this, this scholar. You know, he's that mm. important. But anyway, um, his, his um, article here, was about the nature of Christians, and you've heard them, and you've, some of us who are listening to this, we've been these people where we say, mm. what is God trying to do in this? What's right. the reason? Why is this happening, right? And it, it, and that's a natural question because unlike war or famine, this is a different kind of, suffering. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but you know, there's a reason why solitary confinement is considered a punishment, which is the yeah. point that Wright begins with. It's, we have this different sort of way that we're going through a trial here. We're trying to figure it out what's going on. And so uh, what Wright does is he goes in here and he says, Hey, look, you know, the temptation is, he calls it a knee jerk. The temptation is to try and find reasons, right? And this is, this is kind of our sort of rationalistic um, heritage. Um, and there's also a little bit of uh, kind of anti, 
what the press is delightfully calls evangelical these days, kind of an anti-evangelical sort of feeling, because there is something in evangelicalism, modern evangelicalism, that kind of tends to want to be happy, clappy, slappy sorts of uh, that sort of thing, and just never wants to think about anything bad happening unless there's a silver lining. And Wright says sometimes bad things just happen, right? Sometimes things are not fair. He, he uses a quote from T.S. Eliot who says, um, we're, trying to, we're trying to say, hey, everything's all right. And he says, well, maybe sometimes the only advice we have is to wait without hope because we're hoping for the wrong thing, which is a profoundly spiritual thing. Is it possible that we're hoping for things to come back to normal? And maybe, right. you know, maybe normal is, why, are we, why do we think that that's a good thing? Right? Why do we think nor normal is a good thing? And as Christians, we have a different sort of idea of what ought to be happening. Anyway, so um, Wright goes on and he talks about, he introduces the idea of biblical lament. And lament, not only about what's happening to me, but also a sorrow and a grief for what's happening to the world at large. So it so, actually becomes yeah, less self-centered. Yeah, let's stop there. So for, again, yep. my non-Bible scholars, lament isn't really a word we use a lot in our culture. How would you yep. define lamenting? I, I know it's a thoroughly biblical concept, but what does lamenting even mean? Lamenting is the idea of going through a time of sorrow, a time of grief, a time of loss, and to take that emotional expression and put that before God. Hmm. So it's a, it, so it's a, it is a spiritual exercise, dare I say? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like anyway, what so he right, says, I like yeah, what he says right in the middle of the article about lament. He says, lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's, it's, it's almost as if you're okay. You're, you're going to still trust God, but you are asking the why question. You're pointing it to God. You're saying, why are we in this situation? Why are we in crisis? Why are we suffering? And it can be a global pandemic, but a lot of times it's stuff in our personal lives. It's our broken relationships with our family. It's a, it's a issue with our spouse. It's an addiction. It's a um, you know, just a job loss. It's something that's, you know, again, very personal, very local. But the thing about coronavirus is it's like literally affecting everybody, <laughs> you know, like we're, yeah. we're all in this situation. And I find a lot of my friends, Christian and not, are ultimately asking why, you know, and, and that can either turn us away from God or I think towards God. And, and NT seems to be saying, hey, let's go to God with that why question, um, and be all right with not getting an answer. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I think that that's a helpful perspective. The idea that if we truly do believe that God is loving and good, but the world is very broken, um, then we have to come to grips with the idea that sometimes things are not going to be a happily ever after, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that happens for believers and unbelievers. You know, the rain falls on the righteous and, and the the wicked at the same time. Yeah. Uh, this idea that, um, you know, we have this, we have this exercise is bringing our lament to God because we are looking actually for, we're looking beyond our circumstances and into God's presence and hope. Mm. And not to get answers for the why, but as, as uh, Wright says, 
we want to see reassurance of God's presence within that trouble. And so the reason why this, um, this was so compelling to me was because I had gone through my own period of um, difficulty and darkness mm. um, a couple of years ago. It was one of the reasons why I moved to the Northwest. Uh, we can get into those that story later, yeah. but just to say that it was a difficult, depressing, dark right. time, and so, I had I engaged in lament. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if we were to read your journal entries, it might look like some of the psalms we find in our Bible, right? Where David's yeah, not nearly, out. <laughs> yeah, not nearly as poetic or as right. actually pretty self-centered, by the way. Yeah. yeah. But but the point is, is that what as Wright was going through this, this really resonated with me and my my recent experience. The idea that where I found comfort wasn't necessarily in my circumstances, although eventually my circumstances did turn around and I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. But but it took was, a while, right? Like there was a period I walked through that with you. It wasn't yep. like it was you prayed and then next month you had a job and everything was great and everything's happy and hunky dory. You you went through a lot of uh, personal uh, crisis and tumult or you know, yep. you went through a period of suffering for sure. Yeah, and and we're we're um, still feeling the uh, the the for example the economic effects of that crisis um, mm -hmm. even today. Uh, well, we may never recover from that, but that's fine. I mean, all of that's good because you know this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Um, right. There is there is comfort in realizing that, and and that was part of my own my own journey was. What am I thinking of? What am I, where am I laying up my hope and my expectations on? Mm -hmm. This world is, is full of trouble and tribulation. Right. It's full of suffering and pain. And you know, that's something that American Christians generally don't understand. We have a very, very poor practical theology of suffering. Yeah, and, and you've heard this before. I know you and I, we've chatted about this and guys in Christian leadership have heard about this. But to the people out there who kind of think of themselves as men, as lay leaders in one tradition or kind of like, I just go to church, there are times that you just got to come to grips with the fact that suffering is going to be part of your life. And God yeah. is still good in all of that. So yeah, that's great. That was, so this article was compelling to me because it brought up some of the things he said were, were good. Some of the things were just brought up. Uh, touch points for other processing that I've done in that area of, of suffering and lamenting. And so, yeah, that's why it was so compelling to me. And, and, and knowing that, uh, so that, that actually leads to the next question, which I think you implied, which was, why would I bother to post this? Yeah. Because, you know, I, you, in the last few years, you have been on on me. I've got to get on Facebook, at least. I've got to be tweeting. I've got to be, you know, I've got yeah, to be in share social. about 10% 10, 10 of what I share. So whenever Eric's yeah, is... in my feed, I, I tune in. Yeah, so, so what's thought... that message? What are, what, are yeah. you, what are you hoping people take away from this discussion today, but also the article? We'll share the link, of course, in our show notes for those who haven't read it. But what do you hope people get out of this article? Yeah, so what I was hoping that it would be an encouragement and that uh, Wright's words would be if after people got over the clickbaity uh, title was that uh, as he goes through it, they would say, oh, yeah, 
sometimes life isn't fair, but God is still good. God still loves me profoundly and he's with me, but sometimes life just sucks. Right. Right. And, and it's more than just sucks. I mean, sometimes life can be very, very rough, very bad, tragic. Yeah. And yet even in that, um, we know that God is good and that he is, and that what we're looking for isn't a comfortable existence in this world, but remember where our real hope and inheritance is, is not in this world. Right. We're pilgrims, right? as as someone once said, right? We're pilgrims exactly. on a journey. Yeah. And it's um, a little easier for me to to get that because I'm, you know, older. Um, so I'm beginning to think like that. And and my other brothers and sisters in Christ who are yet older, um, they all, man, there's the conversations they say they have, the thoughts they have about what it's going to be like to be in heaven now that their life on this world is over. Um, yeah, they're, that's an interesting phenomenon. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Distraction. So, so one of the things that I see that Christians do is, you know, that I, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm the first to say, I tend to lean in this direction. It's my nature to ask why questions. And sometimes it, it, it's this endless search for me to find the answer. Why, Lord, why is this happening? Why are you allowing these things to occur? And so, I see a lot of our, our Christian friends, some of, I would say, not our Christian friends, Christian people, Christians in, you know, high up positions attempt to answer that question. They do tend to fill in the blank for God, if you will, with coronavirus. We're seeing those people in the headlines today, pastors who refuse to not meet on Sunday, like the governors of states and the federal government are recommending. We see that with people who are getting on stages and saying that uh, the Lord is going to heal the nation of this, or if you drink this 599 bottle of something, you know, oh, no. you'll be cured of coronavirus, you know. And so my kind of final question for you is what what would you say is the danger of Christians attempting to answer the why question? And not just with coronavirus, but in again so many areas in which we suffer as humans, when we're looking for that answer, why is it why might it be dangerous for Christians to jump in with like here's the why? Good question. I, I suspect that the danger is one of pride. Mm. I think it seems to me that we, we believe that we're really clever. And we think we've got a good bead on things. We think we, we have a good understanding of things, right? And so sometimes events come where they don't provide easy answers. Mm. And those easy, remember you were talking about your muddled, messy middle? Yeah. Here's an example, mm -hmm. right? It's real easy on one hand to say, God has this in mind, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what is in his thinking, and this is how it's going to turn out, okay? That's that rationalistic sort of thought that we can be tempted towards. And, and we are, we're clever. We can come up with all sorts of uh, scenarios, right? Yeah. Or we can go over on the other end and just, just say, well, I just want it to be over. I just want mm. things to be back to normal, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So, so uh, and, and there, 
and there's a kind of even maybe another uh, opposite, like, well, I guess we're all going to die, right? right? So what if it's more messier than that? Like, well, why don't we just, why don't we just say this is what's happening? Life is not good right now, but I'm going to remember when life was good, and that's going to bring a smile to my face. That'll yeah. be something. And to realize that, yeah, um, this one's beyond me. This is above my pay grade. Right. There's a certain I, humility that we avoid when right. we, when, right? Yeah. And I think, I think another word that comes to mind is control, right? It's, it's yeah. humans want to control. We, again, especially here in the West in American Christianity, we generally speaking up to two weeks ago, most of our lives were completely in our view in our control. We could go where we want. We could buy what we want. We could hang out with who we wanted to hang out with. And we have had a loss of control. We've had something I would argue revealed that we aren't ultimately in control. And so humans, generally speaking, we're not, we're not good with that. We're not good with being out of control of our lives, but isn't that essential to the Christian life? Having some level of being all right with being out of control, trusting in a being that is higher than you, that understands things from a different plane of understanding. Sure. And, and as many, many thinkers have reminded us over the centuries, um, humans have an illusion of control. We, we have this, we delude ourselves that we can be perfectly in control. And sometimes that works. I mean, sometimes we can get, uh, bring order out of apparent, apparent chaos. Um, but then that kind of backfires because then there are unintended consequences. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not one of these guys who says, well, you just need to give up any thought of control or influence. Um, that's not the case at all. Uh, that, that is not what I'm suggesting. But sometimes there are times when you have to realize and just say, this is one of those times when I'm just along for the ride and yeah. we'll have to see where it goes and it may not go in a happy place. Exactly. And I'm going to have to be okay with that. Well, you will have to be okay with it Either because <laughs> whether you're okay with it or not, it's still going to happen. Yeah. And that's precisely where we are right now. It's like, we can all complain. We can lament. We can go through all sorts of levels of emotion and grief, but we are here and we're going to continue to be here for the foreseeable future. And, and that's the part that I think is so distressing. Um, I want to end with a verse here from Isaiah that I felt was just really came to mind as we were discussing, and it really kind of highlights, and then I'll leave you, Eric, with kind of the, the final thought, if you will, in this section. But Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And to me, that really just, you know, puts the period on the end of the sentence of this discussion that God is above this. God has a level of understanding as to uh, our bodies, um, medical stuff, diseases, where the world's going to go in the next five years. He has a level of understanding that you and I will never be able to under. Uh, obtain here on earth and that's ultimately where we need to put our trust so yeah my final thought is that let's say that this thing does end 
and it becomes maybe even chronic. Like every winter, there's a new batch of this COVID-19, or now they're calling, I guess, SARS-2. And life has changed. Life will change. It changed after 9-11. It changed when the space shuttle blew up. It changed when it changed when Nixon resigned from office. Life changed, and or I'm just talking about the about the United States of America. It yeah. changed when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, right. right? It changed from my dad, who had to go to a war, which was being fought by a president he didn't vote for, hmm. right? Life changes, and I guess my thought after after all this is that life will always change there'll always be something that will throw us for a loop if our if our concentration our attention and our perspective is only on this world as a believer this world definitely is something i am in but as you and I have talked about many times, as Jesus told us, we're in the world, but we shouldn't be of the world. Mm. We have dual citizenship. Our citizenship in this world is temporary. That's good. And, and so I would suggest it's helpful to have that eternal perspective. And I, yeah. I feel that's the, I feel that's, yeah, that's a helpful perspective. That's good, man. Okay. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to it. And uh, if you haven't already, check out this article. As I mentioned previously, it'll be in our show notes. So you can just go ahead and click down there in the link section. But Eric, I bid you farewell today. And until we meet again in another episode, which will be an entire interview, you guys will get to know this guy better. And I guarantee you it will be full of some uh, zany and fun and witty comments, more so than this this discussion was. Yeah, this was kind of a, yeah, this was not really your happy silly time was it <laughs> no definitely no. not not you won't get you don't get to see that side of eric today but i'll just leave you with that hope that in the future <laughs> you will get to see it so thanks again eric for being on today you're welcome have a great day and just like that it's a wrap of this here episode six thanks for listening in and as always we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the cultured christian podcast Please join in the conversation on our Reddit. Also like and share us on our Facebook page. Lastly, if you have any feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com or share them via text or voicemail at area code 810-207-5717. And we'll see you in the next one.